I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nonsense! Nonsense is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I is your host, Adam Campbell. <laughs> it's great to have you. It is December 15th, and I have a fantastic show for you this week. Though, from the point of me recording this, I'm not entirely sure what's going to comprise said episode. In Nine Sense Letters, that's right, I'm bringing back this fantastic segment, I have a question about evangelists from a listener. Thank you so much. And if you want to submit your questions, send them to info at 9centspodcast.com or check out 9centspodcast.com, the website, and send it to me through like a contact form. Or you can always stalk me and, uh, you know, shoot me a phone number answering machine message through uh, Google Voice. My phone number is on, uh, I believe it's 801-899-6168. But yeah, that's just a voicemail machine. It's not actually me picking up, so you won't get me. Uh, Hopefully there's an agent provocateur. (laughs) I'm crossing my fingers. If not, we will, uh, you know, throw in a, I don't know, infernal informant. And I have an interview for a creature feature. Cult. That's right. This amazing, I don't know if you would call it a clothing line. Uh, community or what but uh interesting Q&A with that and a pretty damn good interview as well and that's gonna sort of wrap it up for the entirety of the show uh before we start here you'll have to excuse me I'm trying to overcompensate I don't know about you all um and it's weird because there's a significant amount of factors involved in anything like this but for me, the holidays carry with it a significant amount of depression. And uh, I don't know why. I always feel fucking down. Um, and it could be the cold. It could be the darkness. It could be expectation and perception of not living up to it. It could be any number of mitigating factors the truth is, I feel fucking down today. I don't... And I'm, I'm trying my damnedest to work through it so it's an entertaining episode. But since, I don't know, say 2.10 this afternoon, to be oddly specific, I've felt pretty goddamn down. I think a lot of it has to do with this podcast, to be honest. And this... I don't, I don't know if it's fair to say that or not, because... When I say this podcast, it insinuates the the audience. It, it it includes you because you're consuming this in one manner or another. And I don't mean it in that way. Um, I just mean, um, I, I think of this time of the year, uh, no more than traditional, but I, I think of it as spending time with the family, and this podcast pulls me away from that. But especially because I'm putting together, and I've been putting together for a number of weeks, the Nine Cents Horrific Holiday Special. The the same sort of thing that I've put together for the past two years, but it's significantly time-consuming because I have to sort of have a lot of balls in the air. I have to coordinate with a bunch of other people that are contributing, uh, reaching out to seeing if people are willing to contribute. And it becomes a big to-do air quotes, so it requires a significant amount of my time, couple that with multiple websites and um, projects that I'm still trying to work through, things that I'm trying to 
uh, create that haven't yet come to pass. And then uh, just my regular professional real-world life of family and commitment and profession that need serious attention. It, it, It becomes a little bit too much at times. I'm sure you can understand, uh, whenever you have too many balls in the air, it, it becomes a little bit more of a hassle, and so you have to evaluate whether or not it's worth it. Rest assured, I think Nine Cents is worth it still. I, I have amazing contributors to this show, and I will continue uh, until I can't imagine something that would make me stop. The nine-year mark would make me stop. I will continue until then for the foreseeable future, but it is something that, I don't know. I think with any project of worth, uh, and this reaches out to any aspect of your life, if you are a part of anything of substance, you will get people um, reaching out and latching on. And it's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. They're expressing their appreciation of what you're doing, and and after all, you're doing it for that sole reason, so other people can enjoy it. It's not just a meditative journal that you're producing. So it's nice. Um, But the more interaction one gets with their audience, at least for me, I don't know about anyone else, the more I feel like I have a responsibility to live up to expectation, and if not expectation, then at least live up to my own standard of producing something worth your time. I'm not complaining here, but I'm just saying that it is, it weighs on you as a, as a human being. Um, and as I mentioned before, man, you, you, you couple in, you add in everything else that you're dealing with in life, and it, it can be a burden, it can be a weight. Um, and again, I'll continue doing it, but it is a weight and I'm feeling it today. I'm really fucking feeling it. Uh, I don't know. I, I had a pretty damn good day of brewing. I made a Pilsner, a Bohemian Pilsner, which I'm pretty excited about. It's sort of a staple beer of mine that I make every, you know, couple sessions of brewing every couple brew days. It's good. It's a good tasting beer. And, uh... <laughs> I don't know why, but they always kind of hit you a little bit harder than anything else I brew traditionally. Um, and then on the burnout, which is when basically you're done cooking the wort and you turn the heat off right before you start cooling it, uh, I threw in a cup of honey that my, my sister had actually like harvested. I don't know if you, what you call gathering honey from your own beehive. I guess it's harvest. But she harvested from her beehive that she has in her backyard. She has some land uh, a ways away from me, but um, we, we keep mildly in touch, I, I should say. So I, I put in a, a cup of that honey, which hopefully has all of those delicious allergen fighters that uh, those of us with allergies strive to find. Um, and it does a couple things. One, it makes whatever you put it in sweeter. Duh, it's fucking honey. But also, it adds to the alcohol content because the more sugars you have in your wort at the time of pitching your yeast, the more the yeast has of consuming that sugar and pooping out alcohol. That's that's how you get beer, if you don't know. Um, which is awesome. You're literally drinking yeast poop. <laughs> it's just kind of a funny way of looking at it. But it's delicious, and it's it's uh, it really it's sweet, and it's it hits the spot for what it's worth for you home brewers out there. So I, I pitched in some extra honey to just sort of you know break up the monotony of, of pilsners that I make traditionally. And there's this point of immediately before making beer and after making beer, where it's the before sterilization period and afterward cleanup period, where you're just like, fuck, I don't want to do this. You know, making the beer itself, it's not particularly exciting or anything but it is something to do and you know there's some you know familial experiences that you can have during the process you can communicate with your family and talk to them about what you're doing and blah 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 (laughs) Uh, but the before and after man it is all on you because no one wants to hang out when you're sterilizing shit with chemical and no one wants to hang out when it's time to clean up so you're just sitting there alone. <laughs> and today I had so many damn things to fucking work on. It was so goddamn... 
Uh, it was such a fucking burden. And I understand that me talking about this puts an unfair burden on you, the listener, because you're like, oh, get to the fucking show. But this is part of me putting the show out, all right? This is a process that I have to get through. So you can feel free to skip forward. Um, I do want to mention one thing. I've been brainstorming for a couple weeks now about how to bring about, how to produce this um, get to know the voices of nine cents special that I've been asked to do. And it's, uh, another one of those things, man, uh, you know, you factor in everything else and it's not as easy as one would think. I don't want, and I, I spoke to this last week. I don't want this to end up being, you know, you guys looking at me and you're like, Oh, oh this is Adam. And, uh, fucking, he looks whatever, and that is the message. I I don't want that. So you can follow me on social networking circles, and you can see photos of me, and at times my family and my life, but this is really about a satanic voice, or I should say satanic voices, which is important. So I don't really want to focus on this just being me. So I've, I've been thinking about doing these promos, and I've got at least three that I'm kicking the tires of in my mind to see if they would really be worthwhile. I tend to do this whenever I create a project, and maybe you can you can empathize here. I I think of what would I find funny, and then run it through the filter of what do I think other people would find funny. And it tends on washing out everything that I would have found funny about it. I like random stuff. I, I like things that seem to be really serious, but in fact are mockeries of themselves. I think, I think pretentiousness is very funny. As long as it's honest pretentiousness, I think it's hilarious. Um, when it's a joke, I don't know if it's as hilarious or not. It can be humorous. I don't know if it's very funny though. Um, and that's, in my opinion, the difference between <laughs> and <laughs> humorous and hilarious. Um, so I, I'm trying to find a funny way of creating these promos that would somehow set up what I expect this Q&A sh live show to be. I don't know that it's going to happen. One, if it is going to happen, I don't know that it's going to be worth the buildup. And that's the same way with this holiday show, man. It's kind of pulling it back here. I'm I'm trying to make it worthwhile. And and here's the thing. Bottom line is I want it to be entertaining. Whether it's funny or it's in you know provoking, thought provoking, um, or it just burns a couple hours that you're willing to waste. I want it to be worth that time, whatever it is. And I don't know that I can do that much longer, man. It's, uh, it's tough. I'm sure like any of you, you get to a burnout period in any project that you do for a while. And I've hit it with nine cents before and I had sort of a shit episode. <laughs> um, I'm afraid this, not a shit episode, but just hitting that burnout point. I might've hit it again. I don't know. We'll see. How about rather than hearing me wine <laughs> uh we here's the other thing if if you want to send in questions uh info ninecentspodcast.com if you have any comments about this show same um let me know what you think because it, it does actually make me feel better more importantly it means that i can try to produce something that is of worth to you individually um and that's just what this nine cents letters is about so let's go ahead and Move on over to that. Right. Though I am an active member, I do not speak for the Church of Satan. Hey, Adam. I was stopped by an evangelist this afternoon at the shopping mall. He, along with others, were passing out little cards of gospel for the upcoming holiday. I declined politely so I could be on my way, but the man stopped me again. Let me ask, he said, where do you see yourself spending eternity? Must have been the sigil of Baphomet around my neck that caught his eye. I don't know. I laughed and said, I don't see. I see myself making my life the best I can now so that when I die, I didn't waste it. 
Has this kind of thing ever happened to you? I'm sure you get asked this a lot by listeners. It just came to mind after today's occurrence. You're actually correct. It it does happen to me quite a, more than I would like. And uh, let me first sort of, you know, a bit of clarity here for everyone else. I've already re- replied to this emailer and uh, given him a number of occurrences that has happened to me. For the sake of everyone involved, I'm going to go over maybe one or two of them here. Um, in response, but first let me say that this has to be expected. It's going to happen. Whenever you are failing, put yourself in in some um, a weak human being's shoes for just a minute here. You see that your religion is not as popular as you think it should be. Um, you are not living up to your own expectations. You are failing in substance. Uh, so you latch on to this religion. And because it's not as popular as you think it should be, because you want it to be something significant in your life, you reach out to other people, or the religion itself tells you to reach out to other people and proselytize. Share the good word. Um, so there's literally no way to get around it. If And if you listeners have ever not had this happen to you, consider yourself fortunate, because it is quite frequent in America. Um, Yeah, and I've actually had this abroad too. I I was stationed in Germany for a number of years, and I had English-speaking Bible sellers come to my door, and they asked me uh, if I was interested in the English-speaking Bible, and I said, obviously in English, uh, well, I am American, and I do not want your fucking Bible. I'm a Satanist. And they're like, what? A Satanist? I don't know. I've never heard of this. Is this an American religion? <laughs> I was like, well, uh, I think of it as an American religion, yes, because I'm born in America and I discovered it in America and it was codified in America, but it's not an American religion. It's just a religion. And they said, yeah, Americans do the strangest things, I suppose. I, okay, strange. You mean like knocking on strangers' doors and trying to sell them a Bible? presumably in an area that doesn't even speak the language, so the chances of them actually being able to read the said Bible that you're trying to push on them, uh, and it's not even trying to push, you're trying to sell them, is pretty goddamn unlikely. So what are the chances here of craziness being a part of a movement? Um, The person that's in America trying to, I don't know, codify something that makes common sense and speaks to a significant portion of the human population on this planet and yet celebrates that individual's right to live their life as they so see it or trying to take a bible in a language not of the natural area that you're trying to sell it in as if somehow because it's a different language it has some i don't know more significant influence over your life like And here's something that drives me goddamn crazy. Yes, because a religion is old, somehow it's, I don't know, more truthful than something that's been created? And and here's the way I see it. Because you you run across this in in history fans, and you run across this in, in alien conspiracy theorists, where they think something that happened tens of thousands of years ago must have more significance on the human experience than something that happened, let's say, 50 years ago. Why? Oh, I don't know. Because it's out of their personal realm of experience. Because their lives are so devoid of meaning, of a purpose, that something has to be important. And if it's not in their lifetimes, it has to be in a previous lifetime. Because there's no way in hell that these weak, worthless human beings could possibly experience anything of worth in their lifetimes. Or maybe, I don't know, break out of the confines of the shackles of society that they've allowed themselves to be put in. And and, and, and you create something of worth themselves. No, it has to be something outside of their realm of experience. Someone else in some ancient history created some dogma that was more important than anything I could possibly have imagined or that could possibly have any relevance that, that would come to being in my lifetime. So let's focus on that instead. I... I don't know where that came from. 
<laughs> I think that may have been an amalgamation of things that <laughs> I've been uh, responding to in different places. Um, where was I? Evangelists. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> I have had evangelists knock on my door. No, the way I like to deal with these uh, these people is to placate them and shake them loose. What, what you always have to understand about evangelists is that you're never going to convince them of anything. They already believe in an invisible person. They're not going to believe truth. So they're here on your doorstep or in front of you to convince you. The chances of you turning around their uh, maniacal thinking is pretty slim to none. So you either have to dig in and prepare for an argument, which in my opinion is the wrong way to deal with things, uh, or two, placate them, pat them on the head, and send them on their way. And if that means that I have to take a flyer, or if that means that I have to smile and nod while they tell me that uh, in the two seconds of me you know, stepping past them that Jesus is the only true saver, then uh, so be it. I don't care. I, I don't care to engage in this type of individual. Because like I already mentioned, there's no way that you're going to come out and like, they're going to hug you. Thank you so much for waking me up. I was so deluded. That's not going to happen. They're going to continue. And, and here's the other thing. And, and maybe it's something deeper than the idea of wanting to convince them. It's the idea that they are of worth themselves that you should waste your time trying to convince them. Keep in mind, in most cases, these are grown human beings that literally believe this horse shit. Why do you want to try to convince them of something else? What is it that you see in them that is of worth that they have yet to be able to experience in their at least 15 to 30 to 87 years of experience? If they are incapable of finding strength within themselves to stand on their own two feet and rely on an invisible man to prop them up, why would you even bother trying to convince them? It's best to move along. Nothing to see here, folks. Move along. Um, and uh, I, I say that, the, obviously, the author of this letter did not try to convince them of anything, but it's, it's a one thing that you find quite often is that when people disagree, they try to convince them, oh, no, you're the wrong one, you know, whenever they're offended. I try to turn it around a little bit. If I am feeling feisty, what I like to do is turn it into a prideful th exercise on their part. Where, oh, yes, no, I, I've never heard of Jesus Christ in my 35 years of this planet. How, how strange. Thank you so much for explaining this to me. I've, I've never once experienced anyone mentioning anything about a Jesus Christ. You say it's a, what's the word you say? A Christian religion? Wow, this is amazing. How have I never heard of this in my entire life to date? And you're the one that's going to save me? There has to be, I don't know, like a billboard somewhere with a tally of people saved, as they put it, and I put people conned. Um, that they just sort of mark and chalk and continue adding up. And if they've conned a certain amount, I don't know what they get, like a bow tie? Maybe they get a, I don't know, a new shirt? Like, what's the, what's the benefit there? <laughs> I, because there is a significant benefit, because you do run into people that try harder than others, meaning that there's some sort of individual sense of accomplishment attached to it. And here's the irony, because it's not their accomplishment, <laughs> at least how they, on the surface, are convincing themselves, it's their saviors. They're trying to spread the good word, so to speak. So uh, if they're not doing it for themselves, then they have to be doing it for their savior. But if they're doing it for their savior, why do they fight so hard to convince you, to attack you on every front, to get you to believe? And then there's that badge. I'm the one that turned the heretic around. I brought him to the flock. Well, congratulations. You just conned another fucking idiot. The rest of us will take your stupid fucking flyer, walk on, and move about our lives. Yeah, uh, and, and it wasn't just in Germany that I experienced this, which is an odd place in my experience to have experienced it. 
when I was in advanced individual training in Augusta, Georgia, uh, for Gordon. I love that duty station. But um, I ran into a lot of Baptists handing out flyers there. Another really fantastic group of freaks. Uh, when I was in uh, Fort Gordon, I'm sorry, um, uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky, <laughs> I ran into my fair share of wackos there. Uh, and it wasn't just the outsiders. I mean, when I was in Germany, uh, I hadn't disaffiliated myself, like removed my name from the Mormon church's roster yet. And so I had other soldiers reaching out to me. Hey, I found I was doing a query of, of, of every single soldier in my unit. And I, it turned up that you were registered as a Mormon. So I was wondering if you'd be interested in coming and joining us and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want, I don't want any, you, if I did want to be a part of your little cult, don't you think you would have seen me at your, I don't know, events, your, your celebrations, your experience, your, I don't know what you call it. Like, wouldn't you expect to have seen me by now? Like I'm, I'm in country for two and a half years. Now you're going to reach out to me and it's going to be like, oh yes, I'm, I had no idea two and a half years in country that there were other Mormons in this world. I would love to join you. No, I don't want anything to do with it. And why'd you even expect that? You, you've expected. You've seen me act and interact with my soldiers and other soldiers and sergeants and company commanders and first sergeants. You know how I am. Why would you possibly think that I would have anything to do with your crazy fucking cult? And yet they still found you overseas. <laughs> A completely different country. It's amazing. These people will go to any length. Any length to try to convince you of what they see in this unbelievable religion, um, whatever that religion is. So the best way, as I've already said, and I'm, I'm harping here, I'm going to shut up here in just two seconds. Listen to their two-second diatribe as you're walking by. Do not stop. If it's at your house, smile, say you're not interested. Do not allow them to say anything. Close the door. Be a gentleman or a lady. You don't have to be an asshole about it, but move along, pat them on the head, send them on their way. You don't have to put up with it. You don't have to listen to it. They're doing it for themselves. They're not doing it for other people. And you're never going to convince them otherwise. So don't get in an argument. It's not worth your time. Hopefully you're living a productive life. That focus should be more important than responding to these asshats. So yeah, I've got I do actually have many more fucking stories I could give, but I'm not going to for the sake of time because I do have a fantastic show to continue putting together here. So let's move on. I am not a liberal nor a conservative. I'm not a Democrat nor a Republican. I am not a socialist nor a capitalist. I am not an authoritarian and I'm definitely not fighting for your cause. I belong to no party, I support no politicians, I am loyal to no state, and your cause celebra means nothing to me. I am Darren Deicide, Agent Provocateur. Welcome back to the secret underground headquarters of Agent Provocateur. Might I remind everyone to go to facebook.com slash agentprovocateur on 9 cents to link to my page and jump into the sick and twisted world of reality. I had the idea that I was going to do a piece on Afghanistan, but I'm pushing something up the queue here due to recent sensational events appearing in the news. Let's address mass media, mass mentality, and mass acceptance. From the beginning, I've gone into Agent Provocateur with the notion that I'm going to avoid being a pundit. I'm not here to give you a makeshift opinion to use. I'm here to lay out the facts so you can figure out what to do with them on your own. What a nice world it would be if more people approach politics in such a way instead of anecdotally pulling whatever they wanted out of their ass to justify their new cause. Punditry is an interesting phenomenon to me. Demagogues have always existed in the history of politics, whether as movement or organization leaders. But I'm not trying to spurn a movement or organization, and I think it would serve all of us more if we looked at both more skeptically. Movements and organizations are not only ways to corral you physically, they are ways to corral you mentally. For example, contemporary American political thinking would have you say, well, you can't be pro-choice and against a nationalized healthcare system. 
I say fuck you, I think you can be. And not only that, your term pro-choice sucks. I'm pro-abortion. I want more abortions. Being pro-choice is a lukewarm fence ride. Hand me the suction hose. Uncrowd thought. See how that works? So what I, I argue is that punditry works to keep people thinking conventionally. And once you construct a convenient box for them, there's no use for them to look at possibilities. Their point of view is stunted to the means of the pundit. So pundits become something like a secular priesthood that set the parameters of debate and the masses unquestionably follow. Well, I've always wanted to steer away from that. As I've said before, if I present you with a notion, challenge it. Do your own research and formulate your own ideas. More often than not, you'll find that I'm right. <laughs> Seriously, just ask my friends. However, those times that you find your own ideas in conflict with mine, reject my idea unless new evidence shows otherwise. Now, there is no mentality more widespread than the kind propagated by mass media, regardless of what country you're in. To understand this monstrosity, I'm not going to pretend to crack the vast wealth of studies that have already pioneered this field, but let's go over a brief summary. Mass media is generally the means by which information and opinions are transmitted through society. To some degree, it has always existed, and in the recent past, it was confined to things like newspapers, radio, and television. Recently, these mediums have merged into a more ubiquitous medium, the internet. The internet has gone above and beyond what was possible in the previous mediums. Now you are engaged to a degree unforeseen by those except perhaps science fiction writers. Now in moments you can access media on just about any subject imaginable, and at the same time create media of your own about any subject imaginable. How else could I sonically pummel your eardrums with my thought crime? This has created the effect of oversaturation. Many have hypothesized that this has led to the increase of ADHD diagnoses, hyperactivity, and the decline of traditional skill sets, such as memory and focus, inevitably trickling into a breakdown of discipline. That argument is actually as old as the pioneering critics of television who started research into the effects of television, namely on children. Today, Pioneering researchers are doing the same for the internet. I recommend the book The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains by Robert Carr as a starting point, and I'll post the book on my newswire. What these critics do is formulate a serious study into the neuroplastic effects of exposure to these technologies, which is something you are never going to get from the people who, own, who, who profit off of these mediums. And that brings us to the second, more insidious element of the mass media. Who owns it? There are a handful of entities that can claim ownership to mass media. In general, they are multi-billion dollar corporate conglomerates, often with ties to other industries. For instance, the largest media company by annual revenue is Comcast Corporation. After a series of mergers, Comcast has absorbed NBC and Universal Studios, combining them into a single entity, NBC Universal. Once the 14th Amendment to the Constitution was exploited to establish corporate personhood in the courts, General Electric, minus a brief period due to antitrust laws, was acquired and owned by NBC. General Electric is involved in defense contracting and energy production. That's an interesting convergence of interest, no? Make bombs and sell the reason to use them to the public? Comcast retains the largest market share of all the media companies. So naturally, with just reasonable assumptions, a point of view is formulated meant to direct the drooling masses into one that is beneficial for this network of interests. Thus is the birth of the public relations industry. There have been many great books written on this subject, and I'll post some on the newswire. Whatever the case may be, there's a misconception that all manipulations of public thought have to come about through the simple dissemination of, of official opinion. People conjure up Orwellian notions of a mass mind melt where a single dictator passes orders down to a commissar who then reads it off to the public as they chant in praise. 
That stuff is wonderful fiction, and I'm often cheering myself when I see it in a movie. How can you not love watching Darth Vader force-choking incompetent generals and warning them about the Emperor's forthcoming visit? However, we're not on Endor over here, so let's land back on planet Earth. What does happen is that some facts get to you, and others don't. Through that careful selection of facts, assumptions are internalized, and ignorance about other points of view prevails. Smaller, less independent minds are more subject to this than others. Now this isn't some narrative I'm pulling out of my ass. If you read literature from people who are the forefathers of the public relations industry, you hear these mantras repeated over and over. Walter Lippmann, the man who coined the term Cold War, and is, is honored on stamps as a hero in the Great American series, writes in his seminal book on public relations, Public Opinion, about the usefulness of stereotypes. He describes, quote, the buying public and the dual interests involved in marketing information to them. He calls their opinion, quote, non-attitudes that need to be honed and crafted through, quote, signaled events. Well, guess what? I think Walter Lippmann is right. Just last night, I had to call someone at a party stupid because they were actually arguing the virtues and usefulness of purposeful ignorance to me. Needless to say, that led to a nice salty drunk discussion. I think it's apropos given the recent anniversary of Christopher Hitchens' death. That one was for you, fellow provocateur. But the less than impressive woman in the kitchen of that party does not represent a minority. Immediately someone came to her defense. Apparently I was being offensive. Pew pew. Look at the polls on Americans' understanding of the simplest facts related to history and geography. In 2011, Newsweek conducted a poll in which they asked 1,000 Americans to take the U.S. citizenship quiz that is required of those who become American citizens. 38% passed, compared to the highest scores amongst the population of the Scandinavian Peninsula, who scored 67%. Only 29% knew who the vice president was. In another poll, Americans supported a wealth distribution mimicking Sweden's while harboring misconceptions about our own wealth distribution, being approximately 25 percentage points off in their understanding of how much wealth the upper quintile of America had. How the hell are these people supposed to run an effective democracy? I don't bring any of this up because I care about saving people from their ignorance. There have only been historical blips on the radar that show a society rising to the occasion of freedom and responsibility. Outside of that, expect nothing less. Expect people whose government bombs a country that they can't even find on a map. But the point is to expect what the media is doing and act accordingly, my dear exceptional listener. And this boils down to the simple principle of knowing the nature of the beast. A lot of people whine about how they're misrepresented, misunderstood, or how pertinent facts or opinion are are emitted from the media. There are reasons for that, and they don't have to do with educating anyone. They have to do with maintaining a functioning system that benefits the people who own the economy. And if any government worth its salt knows anything about how to run a country, an informed, independent-minded citizenry does not help them get away with shit. Now, via the emphasizing and omission of facts, you can keep a citizenry in abject stupidity. Pundits certainly go a long way to provide people with emotionally potent oversimplifications. Beyond that, what gets emphasized? Well, it's nothing you can't read about in classic tactical strategy or general psychology. Divide and conquer is a good one. Look at the way reporting was done around the radical movements of the 60s, who presented serious challenges to the status quo. Oftentimes, reporters were more interested in schisms between them than whatever the content of their position was. How about presenting false dichotomies? By doing so, you limit the spectrum of thought. In my mind, no better example exists in American thought than the current Democrat-Republican dichotomy. 
Most people completely disregard the possibility of a third party just on the grounds of futility. All of these strategies work towards internalizing values into you and limiting your mode of thought. So you can fight it, but you are fighting a giant multi-headed hydra that will force you to conform to its parameters or be ignored. Well, given the limits of those parameters, the prognosis does not look good for free thinkers. Expect to be disregarded. Expect to be limited by the boundaries of concision so as not to be able to expand on an idea that's never been heard before. Expect to get less space in general if you promote an idea that is dysfunctional to the social system. And if you fight on those grounds, you're at a disadvantage. This is basic Sun Tzu's art of war, folks. If you let the terms of the battlefield decided upon by an enemy, you've already lost half the battle. The truth is that people like us, and you know who I'm talking about, can only be understood so much, and mass media has not been on our side. Why? Because we promote independence, responsibility, intelligence, objectivity, and a mess of other values that are problematic for a functioning consumer society. As George Carlin said in a stand-up, what works for the owners of society are people just smart enough to pull the levers and just dumb enough to accept it. Within that paradigm, our point of view is limited. Now is the time to be dynamic in our approach to this ever-shifting technological monstrosity. If we think like Sun Tzu, study the systems of power and channels of communication, we may be able, inside and outside of the acceptable boundaries, to effectively wage war on the battlefield of ideas. But that only happens if we study the nature of the beast. Join me next time for Agent Provocateur, and hey, this Sun Tzu is going to remind you to join me at facebook.com slash agentprovocateur on 9 cents because I'm ramming a Mack truck through the opening that the internet provides by hitting you with the unseen, the taboo, and the unspoken in politics and culture. Take care. Welcome to another Creature Feature. I'm being joined by Scarlet Hades, uh, the woman behind Cult. It's sort of a, a lifestyle company, if you will. We're going to be getting into that in just a minute. But first, as with every interview I do, I want to know a little bit about the person I'm talking to. So, Scarlet, how are you, my dear? I'm super well. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad you could uh, come on and speak with me. I know our schedules don't match up exactly, but... Uh, we, being able to work this out is, is really fantastic. I had found your business um, really through social networking circles. And so it, it, it really inspired me. It's, you've got some really graphic imagery associated with it. You have a solid brand behind it. And I just thought that maybe my audience would find interest in well as well. And I know for a fact, just through communications, that a lot of people are going to dig what you do. So, but before we get into that... Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, well, so uh, I was raised with an art background. Um, I have a past of art school and tattooing and theater and all of the things that make one not want to live like the rest of society and have a corporate <laughs> job. Um, so um, I really, really devoted my life to kind of figuring out how I could keep myself afloat while at the same time putting out things that making things that other people aren't making. You know, there's a, a very big, um, I guess, gap in what was offered 
you know, to buy as far as T-shirts go. And I just decided, like, people are going to be interested in my mindset because there's other people like me. And so why not focus on the people that are like myself instead of the corporate job that I'm currently in? Well, what draws you to the left-hand path? I mean, just being an artist and, and uh, having a little bit of theater and, and enjoying the arts in general, you know, that sort of category of the arts. I mean, there's a lot of people that choose to take other paths in life. What was it about your history uh, that, that drew you to the left-hand path? Um, well, I've had this, you know, when you first pick up the Satanic Bible and you read it for the first time and you're like 14 and you realize you've been feeling like this your entire life and finally something makes sense. And um, I feel like from a very young age being raised in a Lutheran family, it was all kind of a, a role of theater um, in and of itself. However, I never agreed with the ideas behind it, this like notion of worshiping this fictional character that we all knew wasn't there. And <laughs> if you did really think it was there, then, my God, you must be loony, you know? So <laughs> I've always had this idea that, you know, I it, and it doesn't have anything to do with being more intellectual or more, uh, you know, mature than the people around me. It just has to do with what I caught on to at a, an early age. Um, it honestly saved me from quite a few years of um, what other friends around me were going through. You know, these people that decide they're going to go to youth group services because their friends are going, you know? Mm, so everybody yeah. decides we're going to go to youth group and we're going to be Christians and um, this is what we're going to do because the popular kids are doing it. And, you know, I was never a popular kid and I was always an outcast anyway, so <laughs> the left-handed path was kind of born to me. I do so, like that idea that that it's not so, it's not a conscious thing, you know. I mean, it's just something that maybe even the universe said set you on. I, I think that's really right. It, it resonates a lot with uh, well, a lot of Satanists for one. Right. Let me ask you. I mean, let, let's move a little bit here into the the company itself of cult. Can you tell us um, when you decided? I mean, you had mentioned that you know your lifestyle, the way that you saw the world, influenced your decision to start the business. Um, when what what was that sort of that that hurdle that you got over and said, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start my own business, and this is what it's going to be. Right. Well, I worked in fashion for quite a long time, and um, I just decided, you know, it's designing mostly juniors department and I was making t-shirts that said boring free and uh, like the, the most ridiculous sayings on t-shirts <laughs> accompanied with American flags and flowers. And it, it was just so heart and soul draining. Um, and that whole environment is just draining. And I just decided, you know, if I can do this and I can do this well for another company then I can do it on my own, um, regardless of financial backing. So I just decided to walk out one day, and um, I had already had a couple designs in mind for Colt. Um, the idea of Colt had been around for a couple years with me. I just kind of hadn't had the balls to leave the fashion industry. And once I did, that was it. Do you think... Um... I mean, what is it something that you still uh, think about? Like, what if, what if I didn't start this company? You know, where would I be? I mean, is there ever any regret that, that you did take that chance? I don't think that there are any regrets. Um, my biggest regret is not doing it sooner. <laughs> um, you know, as um, a free person and as a very creative person um, and as a Satanist, I think it's kind of my, my duty to put back in the world what I see fit. And um, I wasn't doing that in the job that I was in. And the fact that I could, I had the opportunity and I could go and put out things that I felt were necessary mm -hmm. to 
produce um, was kind of like an astounding resonance, like in my life. Like I just couldn't not do it. So there, my only regret is not doing it sooner. And I feel like there are quite a few brands that, although they have thousands and thousands and thousands more followers on Instagram and et cetera, um, they wouldn't be around if Colt hadn't started. Uh, let's talk time frame. I mean, what what year are we talking that you uh, first started? Uh, so Colt began in 2009. Um, we just we didn't have anything online. We didn't. There was no Instagram. You know, yeah. um, Facebook. Not really. It was kind of like we were making designs and doing cool photo shoots, and it was kind of more of a of an idea. Um, once in a while we'd make like a custom t-shirt for someone, uh, which if anybody has them, I would love to have one of them at this point in my life because they're <laughs> all awesome. But, um, it was kind of a small thing. And then I just decided, Hey, I need to actually do this. So, uh, about 2000, January, I think 2011, early or late 2010, we launched Colt. So why the name? I mean, there you know, there's some obviousness with it, but yeah, you have a very distinct spelling. I mean, where does that come from? Uh, well, the word cult, uh, spelled K-V-L-T, uh, essentially in the world of black metal, uh, it basically means something that's very rare or hard to find, um, like a like a gem, um, mm-hmm. if, if you will. And I feel like that's what my company is among what we are surrounded by. There's like this horrible corporate idea of like punk rock t-shirts and, you know, that lifestyle. And we are kind of the only one that's, you know, fighting for something real. You know, we're the only one that has a real agenda. We're not just trying to make t-shirts here. So, you know, it was really important for me to have a name that mimicked that so that's where cult came from is there any sense of irony in that it's it's uh name implies hidden and rare and um sort of you know the underground of the underground but obviously you want to be able to make it successful and so it is as in any business you want it to be above ground so i mean was that everything right. that i think that's the biggest struggle though is because you know, as a business owner, I do want to be successful in it. And what I mean by successful is I want to just pay my bills and be able to create more. Um, I'm not interested in making a shit ton of money. And that's why my prices are still lower than any other brand. And I'm not trying to nitpick on other brands. But, you know, I'm, this is not my main objective is making mm-hmm. a shit ton of money. Um, in addition, we will not sell um, our line at any boutique or store that approaches us. Like, we're very specific about where we put our line uh, because, you know, we are not about to have it on any, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry's website or boutique. Um, so we we want to be successful um, but at the same time, we don't want to grow to the point where it's um, in the mainstream. Right. So that's um, the hardest thing is kind of keeping that balance. Um, Correct. Do you think that by naming it cult, by by asso- associating your brand with everything that truly makes your brand what it is, do you think that that's a hindrance as a business? If it is a hindrance, then I'm not interested in the people that are making it a hindrance. <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, yeah. I, I'm not, I didn't create cult um, for the person that isn't open-minded. I didn't create cult to be um, something for the masses. Um, I created it essentially because I like the shit that I make um, and I find it fun and interesting and... Um, 
that's that's pretty much it. And if you are interested in the things that I like, then you'll probably like them too. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, the the bigger thing for me is as a woman to call my company cult and have it be such a loaded word in black metal. Yeah. Um, a lot of men have been very negative towards me in that respect because black metal is definitely taken over by men. Um, and you know, it's like, I get, you know, you're a poser and you're this and you're that, and I'm not going to respond because it's, I don't have the time for it, but, um, it is more difficult as a woman naming your company something so heavily loaded rather than saying, I'm going to make something pretty because I'm a pretty woman. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> I I have to be honest. I never even took that into account. I never thought that that would. I I imagine that just being a woman and starting your own small business period would be challenging. Um, that that you would have sort of hurdles to get over. I never thought that having it be seated in just the aura of the word cult being one of them. That's very interesting to me. Yeah, um, it is interesting. <laughs> well, let's before we continue here, where can people find Cult Online? So, uh, Cult can be found. Um, our shop is uh, jointhecult.com. So, it's like jointhekvlt.com. Um, our Twitter is jointhecult. Uh, our Instagram is Cult Apparel. And our Facebook is Cult. So we're all over the World Wide Web for you, um, mm-hmm. and it's kind of no holds, you know, barred on photos and whatnot, unless you know Instagram doesn't allow titties still, which is silly. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you can still find all of our fun photos on our Twitter and on our website. Nice. I definitely encourage everyone to go check out the shop on jointhecult.com. It's uh, it's filled with uh, some some pretty interesting stuff that I think is going to resonate with a lot of. You, you may not dig all of it, but there's going to be something there that that you will uh, you know it will strike a chord with you. Um, I mean, it, it does seem like you've built sort of a cult following around your brand, um, and that is something that is genuinely hard to do for a business. Was it your intention going into this to have it be more of a, a community-based brand than just, I don't know, say a, a you know, a Nike or a, a Tommy Hilfiger, where it's you know, it's just the clothing that's the brand. I definitely think that when I went into it, it was, you know, when we started Colt, it was just not even just the beginning of Instagram, you know, and when we actually launched our site and we had no idea like what Instagram was going to be and how a community would respond to a brand. Um, but I'm like extremely grateful for the fact that people have responded to us in, um, a very like loving and welcoming way. And, um, you know, it's, it like warms my heart, you know, I'll go, out to concerts or whatever and people are like they know who I am and it's like my god that's so crazy you know like <laughs> I'm that's not my intention but I do think it's like wonderful to like make an impact on a person and um if I was a, a shitty individual and I had no um, <laughs> no good advice for anyone then that would be bad but like I do think I am a good role model as far as a satanic woman um, goes. So I am like so super blessed to have like all of these women and men um, that are interested in our company. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Um, where do you, I mean, where do you see the future of cult? I mean, is this something that you, I mean, and this may be redundant because we'd already discussed about how, you know, what you don't want cult to evolve into. But, um, I mean, do you see it evolving in any different way or, or in any more specific directions than it is right now? Yeah, well, I mean, I can't say specifically, but right. um, we do have a talk about um, an actual um, members-only site. Um, mm-hmm. And 
this is going to be something that's like really, really interesting for our fans because, um, you can kind of get involved, um, and, uh, meet with us. Um, we also have, uh, satanic dungeon, um, shoots and et cetera for just members only. Um, these are all things that are coming and we really want cult to be more of a, a presence and, um, uh, like another community of itself rather than just a brand. Um, I mean, I can't harp more on the fact that like, um, this is something that my whole life has been based on. And like, this is, this is how I live and how I walk and how I breathe. And there are a lot of companies that are bankrolled by their parents or they just caught on to this satanic thing. And I really hope that they have a genuine experience with it. Um, but there are a lot of companies that are just throwing satanic imagery on t-shirts and they don't even know what it means. And they're throwing several different symbols on one shirt. And it's like very, very confusing. And, um, people are buying it up because they don't know the difference. So I feel like it's my job to kind of steer them in the right direction. And hopefully that'll be like where cult goes. Hopefully I'll be able to, um, without pushing anything on anyone else, at least if they're interested in the left-hand path to, to show them how, um, how things really work and um, what you can really love about it rather than just um, a, t- a T-shirt with Wednesday Adams on it. So um, it's really more in- important to me that people know about the left-hand path rather than selling a T-shirt if that makes any sense. I think so. Um, well, I, I as I mentioned, I, I discovered you on social networks myself. And so I've been, you know, sort of watching your posts for, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks here. And I had noticed that, you know, during that sort of black holiday, Cyber Monday time, you did have some deals going on. Is there going to be anything like that between now and the solstice or for those who celebrate Christmas or the new year? Um, we do plan on a 24-hour flash sale, and it will be a solstice flash sale. So um, keep a good watch out for the hours that it's going to take place because it may not be from midnight to midnight. Um, that's still in the works. Um, you just, I guess, have to stay tuned. But there will be a 24-hour flash sale and we're doing 40% off of the whole site. So that should be really fun for wow. anyone celebrating the solstice or Christmas. Ooh, yeah. That's hard even getting out of my mouth. <laughs> nice. <laughs> what, I mean, if you we'll don't mind me asking, yeah, what would be your, and what, what's your best-selling item, I, whether it's a T-shirt or whatever? Um, I think my best-selling item is the Adopt Kitties and Hail Satan t-shirt, sweatshirt. <laughs> now we have a phone case of it. I mean, it sounds so silly, but it's just, it it's, it really is so, like, it's such a fun shirt for me. And um, I was, like, absolutely taken aback. Um, like, Blanche Barton likes that t-shirt. So yeah. I was kind of like, you know, it's, it's totally my favorite. It sells the best and, you know, Blanche likes it. So <laughs> that's definitely our best t-shirt. <laughs> you can't go wrong. Well, that's cool. Um, I do suggest everyone uh, listening, go check out Scarlett's site, join the cult, kvlt.com. Uh, follow her on social networking sites. And you know what? She, she posts uh, images and she posts uh, offerings, um, new products, it's it's definitely something that's worth looking into, and you never know, you might resonate with something that she has for sale. Um, and certainly with what's coming down the pipe, I think there's going to be a genuine amount of people interested, um, just from what I can glean from what you mentioned. So uh, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you, Scarlett. Thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Well, and, and I hope in the future, maybe we could have you back on and, and maybe talk about any new news maybe when this uh what you had mentioned is going live we can have you back on and talk about it in a little more detail absolutely i'd love to all right well until then hail satan 
Chaos Satan. All right, and that's going to do it for the show, people. Thank you for sitting through that. I appreciate your time. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And keep in mind that I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the Satan Net, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Download the show Monday nights via RSS feed down, uh, found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, so look for us there. You can subscribe to 9 Cents via iTunes by searching 9 Cents, and don't forget to leave a rating and or comment. Remember that the only way I'm going to continue doing this is if you guys share it. So please, share it. Uh, And uh, shit, that's going to do it. Once again, thank you for joining me. As always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, hail Satan.